Welcome to Coffee with Cupkey, a production of St. Paul Inside the Walls. Here on Coffee with Cupkey, we grab a cup of coffee, at least we're claiming this is coffee. We sit with Monsignor Cupkey, Raymond Cupkey, the pastor of St. Anthony's in Hawthorne, professor at Immaculate Conception Seminary, diocesan archivist. We sit with Monsignor Cupkey to delve into the history of Catholicism in the Diocese of Patterson. My name is Father Paul Manning. I am the vicar for evangelization for the Diocese of Patterson. And here I am with Monsignor Cupkey. So grab your cup of coffee and let's jump right in. I'm going to take a sip. How, how are you doing with your coffee? I'm doing very well. I'm drinking too much. <laughs> Maybe we'll film like 10 episodes in a row here on, yeah. on the uh, <laughs> caffeine. Yeah. Um, so uh, we were talking about um, Bishop Bailey. Uh, we were talking about the origin of Seton Hall uh, Prep, uh, Seton Hall University, Immaculate Conception Seminary. Uh, Basically, there's a building right down the street from here on the St. Elizabeth's campus. And <clears throat> it's the oldest building. It was the building when they bought that property. It was a finishing school for young ladies, Madame Chegaray's Academy. And that this building... This was a French, French woman? Right. Who, and was this a finishing school? Was it related to St. Vincent's? No, no not just at all. A, this was a private one. Okay. They moved to New York City from... Wow. But that building is the original origin of Seton Hall Prep, Seton Hall College, Immaculate Conception Seminary, the College of St. Elizabeth, and St. Elizabeth's Academy all started at some point in that one same building. Years ago, Raymond, you and I um, did a field trip with seminaries when I was vocation director. We went to interesting places in the diocese, and that was one of them. Mm Mm-hmm. That building, along with like NASA Hall at Princeton and Old Queens at Rutgers, are like the, the oldest, oldest yeah. and continuously used educational buildings. Now, is this state. building still being used? Oh, yeah. yeah. And is it on Park it's right Avenue? right on Park Avenue. It's, it's very close to the road. Right. There's, a, um, there's an historical marker in front of it, but you'd get killed if you stopped to read it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. On Park Avenue. Okay, so... Uh, uh, Bishop Bailey is starting schools. Now he's recruiting religious women. When he came, there were several religious women working in northern New Jersey, part of the Sisters of Charity of New York, which, oddly enough, have just announced that they are going to go out of business. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. That's tough. But um, so they, when when the diocese was announced, when it was founded— as soon as that announcement was made, the Bishop of New York, John Hughes, withdrew all the nuns from New Jersey because the Sisters of Charity of New York were a diocesan congregation, and this was no longer the Diocese of New York. So he took all the nuns out in one shot. Raymond, uh, uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton forms the Sisters of Charity in what year? 1814. And so this is, this is an offshoot of them. These, this is the New York charities. And this is what year? You're talking about the 1850s now. Okay. So by, by 
from 1814 Okay. So um, they were not involved in education. They were involved in orphanage work, which yes. was big, you major said. Yeah, thing. Yeah. So uh, Bailey kind of panics. You know, he's arriving in New Jersey as the first bishop, and his friend and mentor, Archbishop Hughes, as a you know ordination gift, takes all the nuns <laughs> out of the state. <laughs> And uh, so charity begins at home. Yeah. So now, now he knows what it's like to be a bishop. You know, yeah. you know. So uh, he he basically begs Hughes. Uh, Hughes's sister was the mother general oh. of the well, New York charities. Yeah. yeah. So basically, they beg them to allow two nuns to remain in New Jersey or come back to New Jersey to form. The, the leadership, yeah. if Bailey can find a couple of girls willing to enter a community. So he finds five, the five. He finds five, the five New Jersey girls right, yes. who are willing to become novices for a new religious community. And they all have Irish names. They all have Irish names. Yeah. Uh, one of them, uh, Agnes O'Neill. Her family. I think, they, I think I have a relative named that. <laughs> well, Agnes's family is a big deal in St. John's in Patterson. Oh. And one of the windows of St. Agnes in the cathedral. Oh, yes. That's, yeah. that's yeah. her family. And she will become a major player, not only in the New Jersey charities, but also the development of Catholic education in New Jersey. Now, how, but did, anyway, how did Bailey find these five women? Was he announced? Was he, he tapping them on the shoulder he personally? Was having pastors get up in church and saying, "Many oh. of you would like to be nuns." You know? Wow! And and again, this is an era when there were so few opportunities for women. For women, yeah. You know that this was this was one of the only options. You know, yes. you got married or you became a nun. Yes. Um, so anyway. Five of them raise their hand, and he packs the five of them up and sends them to Cincinnati. For their novitiate? The mother general in Cincinnati is one of the last surviving nuns that had done her novitiate under Elizabeth Seton. Wow. So Bailey plays on his relationship to Seton. How can she convince resist? the Cincinnati mother general to take these five girls? And you can imagine what it was like for the five of them. To you go know, from to Patterson go to Cincinnati, to Cincinnati yeah. yeah. So while they're in the novitiate, Hughes negotiates with New York to get two Bailey, nuns, a, a, Bailey rather, yeah, uh, to get two leaders, two two leaders, right? Yeah. So they agree, and basically the two come over, and they never go back. Okay. Uh, the loan becomes permanent. Yes. And uh, well, with some strong arming by Bishop Bailey, arming, there's yes. there's some beauty. So I. I Again, if you get to read Living Stones, there's there's some very uh, uh, strong language uh, of Bishop Bailey to um, Archbishop Hughes, yeah, and then to the to the uh, the nun herself, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, he basically tells her, you know, something that um, 
Is this money? Bishops are want to do. He basically tells this woman, your vocation is in New Jersey. <laughs> you know, I, I am God's representative in this part of yeah. the world, and I can tell you that, you know, you belong here. I don't know if you told me the story uh, and who, who it involves, but the bishop who's talking to uh, a priest and asking him to make it, take a new assignment, and the priest says, I need to pray about that. And so the bishop says, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen, says, Hail Mary. That says you're taking the assignment. That's Archbishop Garrity, uh, Archbishop Garrity with Bishop Marconi. <laughs> What's the story? Well, when they asked Marconi, when they, when Garrity conveyed the news to Marconi that he was going to be named auxiliary bishop of Newark, Marconi says, uh, don't I even get to pray about it or anything? And he says, Garrity like rolls his eyes and says, "Yeah, sure." And then the father says, <laughs> "They pray," and then he says, "Now you're taking it right decision." Yeah. So is this is this um, Mother Xavier that we're talking about? Mary Mother Xavier. Yeah. So maybe say a word about her. She's very interesting. Her pictures are awful. <laughs> um, she looks like the meanest uh, nun you ever met in your life. Wow! But, but she was she was a visionary. And hitched up with a couple of others, like Dean McNulty and Patterson, okay. and made Catholic New Jersey what it is today. Um, she came from Skibbereen in County Cork, emigrated like so many others as a young woman, um, identified a vocation on this side of the ocean, yes. joined the New York Charities. I think she had a sister and a brother. Yeah, the older nuns were shocked. Um, you know, she she lived such a totally devoted life to her community that in later years, some grand nieces and grand nephews showed up, and and many of the other nuns were stunned. They didn't know she had any family. Yeah, because she never alluded to them. You know, uh, wow. The nuns were her family. The community was her family. And when these uh, these relatives showed up, they said, "What? Yeah, you have well, she was, blood relatives, huh? Yes, yeah, a superior for fifty years or something. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She founded the Sisters of Charity, basically, eighteen fifty nine, eighteen sixty. You know, founded in the sense that she was the first superior. So our, and then does not die until nineteen nine, and is still superior. So the Sisters of Charity of Saint Elizabeth." Right. Are this community? Are this community right? Right. They're called Saint Elizabeth because they take possession of the convent station property on the feast of the visitation. Oh, when Mary visits Elizabeth right. in the hill country right. of Judah, right. and um, uh, they were originally in Newark, and then when Bailey moves Seton Hall from Madison to South Orange, he sells the Madison property to the to sisters, the yeah. and that becomes their mother house ever since. And then they found the Academy of St. Elizabeth. found the Academy And the Saint college, Elizabeth. now the university. Ultimately college, yeah. Yeah. Um, which was very, very forward-thinking in the sense that I think St. Elizabeth's is the oldest or the second oldest Catholic women's college in the country. Okay. Um, and it... The, it's worth visiting St. Elizabeth's University uh, for many reasons, historical reasons, but one of the main ones being that there is a, a saint, a beatified uh, um, Sister Miriam Ter- yeah. Ter- Ter- Teresa, who is buried buried yeah. in, the, in the chapel. Right. Her, yeah. her shrine is in the chapel. Yeah. 
um, underneath a large, large window of St. Francis Xavier, and the window was put there because of Mother Xavier. That was her patron saint. Got it. Yeah, that's good to know. So um, you also mentioned the prevalence of orphans in this time because of disease and death and childbirth and all the things that you mentioned, which leads me to another interesting detail uh, that I did not know, and that is that there was a New Jersey boys' town in Denville, New Jersey. So Sacred Heart Protectory originally. Now, a protectory is... It's an orphanage. You know, oh, okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice name for an orphanage. Yes. Yeah. But uh, again, Bishop Bailey and his successor, Bishop Michael Corrigan, um, they purchased the property in Denville. Um, ultimately, the protectory will be moved to Kearney, where it will become known as New Jersey Boys Town. But... The property in Denville remains in church hands because they ultimately will sell it to the Sisters of the Sorrowful Mother, who will develop a water treatment, a hydrotherapy program on that property in the late 19th century, and then build St. Francis Health Health Resort, Resort, it used to be called. Exactly. And then ultimately, much later in the 1950s, St. Clair's Hospital. Okay, uh, And I guess we have sold the last of that property in the past year, but that property has been in church property since the 1860s. So the the old uh, building at St. Clair's, uh, St. Francis, Saint Francis, sorry, was that, was that the, uh, the original? No, I think there was an older building on the property that yeah. was the protectory. Yeah. You know, the, the orphanage was not there that long, but it did start there in Denville. How about that brick that brick building across the street from that they do the, the the barn? Yeah, is that an historical building? That was the barn for the farm that the nuns. That, right. Yeah, that was oh. all one piece of property. Yeah, because it sounded like at the New Jersey Boys Town they they bought a farm and that the the boys would work on the yeah, farm. I'm not so sure that that building was the original barn, but yeah, but the the idea is there. Another uh, two other interesting. Uh, 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 details in this chapter. Number one, I don't know why these little details interest me, but the the introduction of the Stations of the Cross in churches in the diocese. That was Bishop Bailey. Hello, this is Bishop Kevin Sweeney of the Diocese of Patterson, and I have a new podcast called Beyond the Beacon. One of the things I love about this podcast is that I get to interview Catholics of different ages and backgrounds and learn what inspires them to live a life of faith, hope, and love. Join me on Thursdays for Beyond the Beacon, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, or watch it on my YouTube channel. Click the link in the description to learn more. Thank you, and God bless you. I don't think... It was Stations of the Cross. It was 40 hours devotion that he introduces to the diocese. Okay. And so a word about that? Or? That was a, that was a, uh, uh, it originated elsewhere. In the it originated century. in Europe. And there were a number of people that would bring it over 
different ethnic groups, the Germans in particular. So Bailey begins to organize it and assign Sundays, weeks for parishes, so that the Eucharistic devotion is present in the diocese through the entire year. Yeah, nonstop. So every year there would be a letter sent out to all the parishes in the diocese assigning them a particular week for 40 hours devotion. What's interesting is the U.S. bishops have um, initiated a three-year Eucharistic right. revival for our nation. Right. We began the diocesan year last year with the Eucharistic Congress. Now we're in the year of parish revival, and it will culminate with the National Eucharistic Congress. But we're, de- we're, back, yeah. Yeah, we're dealing with the, uh, uh, a concern about the belief of Jesus, Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist, and that was, that was true back then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, particularly because of the effects of Jansenism, you know, the, the reluctance of people to go to communion. Um, at, at, a brief, a brief at word s- about Jansenism, just so... Jansenism pe- is a heresy that emerges in the 1600s, and it's an overemphasis on the unworthiness of the human person. And, you know, are, are basically, we're the scum of the earth and <laughs> God's redeeming mercy. You know, God really doesn't love us, but he kind of yeah. gets... He puts his, up with us or something. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. His arm gets twisted and every now and then somebody gets saved. You know, <laughs> um, you know, it, you know at, the sacred heart apparitions were, a response were to seen Jansenism. as a response to yeah. that in the same time period. Yeah. But it created a scrupulosity about the Eucharist, so that hardly anybody went to communion. The old prescription that you had to go to confession and communion at least once a year. That's what people were doing. Many, many people, that's all they did. Wow. And the the prevalence of the parish missions. Yes, that's another uh, thing that you said. Part of that was preaching, going to communion, you know. Yes. Uh, this so, would be so a big deal. Uh, uh, at the end of that chapter, you talk about the the importance of parish missions. Yes, and um, you mention that one of the um, redemptorists who probably was on a preaching team, John Neumann. I thought it, it and was Francis Xavier Silos. Yeah. Okay, but you've mentioned Father Isaac Hecker. Isaac Hecker was originally a redemptorist, right? All right, so he would have probably yeah. So Father Isaac Hecker ev- eventually formed the, the, Paulist the Paulists, right, right, who are particularly involved in communications. Right. But the uh, the Redemptorists and the Jesuits, and then later on the Passionists, mm. became very involved in the parish mission apostolate. So they would have preaching members who would just spend their entire career going from one parish to another and preaching a four-day mission. Yeah. You know, arrive on Sunday, preach at all the masses, have uh, prayer sessions for the school in the morning, for ladies on Monday night, for the men on Tuesday night, and then culminating with a grand final... Celebration, yeah. yeah. They also have, you know, like little... uh, Stores with the where you could buy Catholic. Yeah, you yeah. Know. That model of the Sunday and then the uh, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, that still holds in a lot of parish yeah. missions. And then yeah. on Thursday and Friday, they'd be traveling to their next yes. yeah. the next gig. But yeah. it became very, very important. And some parishes had physical reminders of the mission. The, the crucifix 
that hangs over the main altar in our cathedral today. That huge crucifix. That dates back to the 1870s and was in a different place in the cathedral. And originally on the base of that, it listed the dates of the parish missions each year. Wow. Um, As late as Bishop Corrigan's time, which would be 1880 to 1887, um, on the form that each pastor filled out each year about the status on Imorum, there was a question about when you had had your last parish mission. Yes. And you had a... And there's one parish that was infamous because they didn't have a parish mission. Do you remember which one it was? Bailey, uh, not Bailey, but Wigger has a wonderful diary of his time as Bishop of Newark. Um, Corrigan, do we have much time? We're okay, we're okay, yeah. So Corrigan was the youngest bishop in the country. when he be- He's the first alumnus of the North American College to become a bishop. Okay. And he becomes the second North bishop American College is in Rome. Rome. Yeah. He was one of the original students. Yes. So he uh, becomes Bishop of Newark in 1881, and he's only in his late 30s. Um, no, I'm sorry. He becomes Bishop of Newark in 1873. He leaves Newark in 1881. So he's very young, and he's like a, a burst of energy. He, by that point, you could get anywhere in New Jersey by train. Okay. But Bailey kept a detailed diary of his seven years as Bishop of Newark, and some of his comments are hysterical today. But, yeah. you know, he, he would... You know, mention like who did not have five sets of vestments in the proper colors, <laughs> yeah. who was using uh, gas lamps instead of candles on the altar. Yes, uh, he, liturgical abuses. Liturgical yes. abuses, clerical abuses. Mm. Um, but, you know, he would mention several times, you know, about a visitation. They say, have not had a mission in four years. Oh. Not much going on here. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. So you knew that this place was in trouble. Yeah. Last thing, well, actually, we probably should save that for the next time. So we're still in chapter three. <laughs> Corrigan is actually um, the first person. So he leaves New Jersey, you know, in 1880 to become the Archbishop of New York, the coadjutor Archbishop of New York. But he's the first person to mention the Diocese of Patterson. Oh. You know, when, as, as a possibility? When he left in 1880, that's when Newark was divided and Trenton yeah. was cut off. And in his diary, he speculates that this will not be the last split, yeah. that eventually Newark will be split again, and it will be either a Diocese of Jersey City or, or of Patterson. Patterson. Let's leave it there. I want all of you who are listening or watching to make sure that you keep an eye out or an ear out for the next episode of Coffee with Cupkey. In order to stay on top of new releases, make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you are on YouTube, please do drop a like and hit the bell for notifications. While you're at it, make sure to check out the other shows produced by the diocese. Those shows are Beyond the Beacon, hosted by Bishop Kevin Sweeney and Jay Agnish, our Director of Communications. 
and the Paul Street Journal, hosted by Brian Hansberger and Freddie Garcia. I want to give a special thanks to Joe Janexi, our sound and visual engineer, Caitlin Ferrari, who's involved in pre- and post-production, and Freddie Garcia, who's helping out with this podcast in addition to doing his own. With all that said, I just want to thank you for joining us in uh, Coffee with Cupkey. Keep making Catholic history in the Diocese of Patterson. <laughs>